Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you joining me for the next three hours. And yes, you should stay tuned all three hours. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. We must begin down in Florida, where yet again there is a kerfuffle because of Ron DeSantis, the governor of the state of Florida. I mentioned this in passing the other day, but I got to spend more time with it because it's become a national story. uh, And it is driving the left and the media crazy. There are new AP standards, AP standards, African-American history. I know I should have pulled this up ahead of time, but I'm kind of been busy. So the AP program has been rejected by the state of Florida. Ron DeSantis and the Education Commissioner Manny Diaz Jr. discussed it and said no way. Uh, They say that this is not about teaching African-American history, for which there are already standards in Florida. This is about indoctrination. Well, proof, proof. One of the the six cores, it's the very, so there are six cores in this program in Florida. That is, there are six areas of study. The last area of study is Wokeism 101, where students will learn intersectionality, Black Lives Matters, Black feminist literary thought, the reparations movement, the black struggle in the 21st century, and black queer studies. Yes, black queer studies. The black struggle in the 21st century will focus on abolition of the police state and defunding the police. This is Wokeism 101. Now, keep in mind, the... the just so you understand the origination of this AP course, it will cover the slave trade into the into the North American hemisphere. It will cover uh, Africans selling Africans into slavery. It will cover uh, the early lives of African slave trading in the United States, uh, the advent of the American Constitutional Republic, and the prohibition on the importation of slaves, the events including the Dred Scott decision that run up to the Civil War, the treatment of black Americans after the Civil War, uh, the Jim Crow era, the uh, the uh, Reconstruction era and how it it left a lot to be desired. The civil rights struggle with Martin Luther King all the way up to the present, the election of Barack Obama, the first black president, the election of Kamala Harris, the first black vice president. So it will cover all of these things, but all of those things are already covered, though not in substantial detail. This would cover them in more detail. And the state of Florida made very clear they don't have a problem with that. If a student wants to take a class that teaches the entirety of the black experience in the United States. There's no problem with that. Rhonda says he has no problem with that. Uh, Obviously, when you teach American history, you get excerpted stuff. If you want to learn about the history of black Americans, how so many came here from the slave trade, how they stayed, how they won their freedom, how they, they had to fight for the freedoms they supposedly won, how they became in this country, the best country, uh, a, a force that could elect the first black president of the United States. Ron DeSantis doesn't have a problem with it. 
but he has a problem with the indoctrination aspect where you're teaching kids critical race theory already prohibited under Florida law. You're teaching intersectionality. You're teaching uh, Black Lives Matter. You're teaching uh, queer theory to high school students. All of this is just Marxist indoctrination. Why do students need to learn about a reparations movement that isn't actually happening or about the uh, abolition of police? That's a political topic. That's not an educational topic. That's a political movement. So they, they decided they're, they're not going to go down with the AP course. Now, uh, I'm in the state of Georgia where I'm broadcasting from. The state of Georgia is taking a wait-and-see approach. They've said if th- this is a draft program for AP credit. If these things remain, Georgia says it will not take this AP class. Florida went on and said, we're not taking the AP class. So this is a win-win for Ron DeSantis. This is the thing I don't think that people on the left, I don't think people in the media, in fact, I know people in the media don't understand this for reasons I will get into. You've got some states like Georgia saying, let's take a wait-and-see approach. Just so you understand, the AP class in African-American studies is a draft proposal. They've rolled it out in a couple of places to see how it goes. Ron DeSantis has no problems with the AP class teaching an in-depth study of African-American history in the United States. What he has a problem with is the sixth section of this class, which is not education, but indoctrination. It teaches intersectionality. It teaches about Black Lives Matters. It teaches feminist literary thought from a black perspective. It teaches black queer theory. It teaches about the reparation movement and about uh, the abolition of police. That's political indoctrination. That's not actually education. And his objection is to these things. Other states like Georgia, where I am, have said we will take a wait-and-see approach. If these things remain in, we'll reject it. Ron DeSantis drawing a line in the sand, rejecting it in advance. The media and the left are flummoxed by this, and Ron DeSantis has just set him up for a win-win. Think about it. If the AP courses drop this... If the college board says we're going to take out the sixth section, that's a win from Ron DeSantis. His pressure campaign has gotten them to drop political indoctrination. If they keep it in, Florida rejects the course, and it's a win for Ron DeSantis because he can show. Look at whether they're teaching your high school student queer theory and abolition of police. Nobody likes that. Even black Americans don't actually like that in large numbers. So Ron DeSantis becomes the savior of your children. This is a win-win for Ron DeSantis that the left doesn't get it. So the left has misinterpreted the midterms. They looked at the midterms. They saw what should have been a big red wave, which wasn't, and said, aha, the right overplayed its hands on cultural issues. They're going to be stuck in cultural issues. They're not going to be able to, use the word, pivot. They're not going to pivot. I want you to look at your calendar. Today is January 24th, 2023. Happy birthday to my mother. The election for president of the United States will be in November of next year. The economy is only just starting to turn south. It will turn south and it will go south quickly once it begins. It will go into recession suddenly and then all at once. Ron DeSantis fighting these cultural issues now will not alienate him from black Americans, Hispanic Americans, white Americans, rich Americans, poor Americans, the middle class, 
It'll all be forgotten when he pivots to the economy as the steward of one of the largest economies in the nation, doing what he can to salvage Florida's economy against the wreckage that Joe Biden has made nationally. Do you really think when Ron DeSantis gets into the heart of 2024's presidential campaign, he'll be running on his culture war in Florida? No, he'll be running on how he saved the Florida economy from the mess Joe Biden made. He'll be pivoting to the middle class, moderate voters of America who are intrigued by the buzz about Ron DeSantis. Right now, however... He's showing conservatives, Republican Trump voters, that he's putting cultural points on the board, that he's also the culture warrior iconoclast that Donald Trump was, except he's more effective. Ron DeSantis is already out there very subtly, if you listen, pointing out that the prior administration emboldened and made Tony Fauci, and Ron DeSantis ignored Tony Fauci. That is... The Trump administration is the one that put Tony Fauci on center stage. It's the DeSantis administration of Florida that ignored Tony Fauci. It was the Trump administration that manufactured the vaccine and the DeSantis administration that says you cannot mandate vaccines in Florida. It was the Trump administration that was not effective at stopping the college board and the Department of Education from advancing cultural liberalism. It's the DeSantis administration that's been very effective at stopping it. That ties up cultural conservative cultural Christian voters in the GOP who otherwise might go for Donald Trump. There are still polls out that show Donald Trump beats Ron DeSantis. There is a problem with those polls. Donald Trump is a confirmed, announced candidate for 2024. Ron DeSantis is a hypothetical candidate. This is very much like in 2012. Mitt Romney was the candidate who dominated everything until Rick Perry announced in August of 2011 he was running, and suddenly Rick Perry was ahead in the polls. He failed. And then suddenly Rick Santorum reigned supreme, and then Newt Gingrich, and then Herman Cain, and finally Mitt Romney. Hypothetical candidates don't poll as well. Ron DeSantis is segmenting himself so he can pivot when all eyes are on him for declaring he's president and talk about an economy that begins to fail. Now, there is breaking news happening right now we have to get to before I can get to commercial break. This is kind of a big deal. Uh, Former Vice President Mike Pence has found classified documents in his Indiana home. They all do it. (laughs) This is breaking news happening right now. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence discovered classified documents in his Indiana home. He informed Congress Tuesday. The documents bearing classified markings in his Indiana home were discovered January 16th from his time as vice president. So according to his team, he informed the National Archives on January 18th of a small number of potential classified documents found in two small boxes. Another two boxes contained copies of vice presidential papers. The National Archives informed the FBI per standard procedure. So they all do it. This kind of, doesn't this mitigate what happened with Donald Trump? Kind of does, does it not? Joe Biden did it. Mike Pence did it. It kind of neutralizes any attack on Donald Trump. 
Again, if you're just tuning in, it's breaking news. Mike Pence has discovered classified documents at his home in Indiana. They were discovered on January 16th. He formally notified the National Archives on January 18th. The National Archives contacted the FBI to let them know, and that is standard procedure. There has been no raid on Mike Pence's home. He has conducted a review, believes he has found them all, perhaps and will be handing them over. According to Pence's attorney, Greg Jacob, in a letter to Chief Operating Officer William Bozenko of the National Archives and Records Administration on January 22nd, the Department of Justice departed from its standard procedure that it ran with Biden when it requested direct possession of the documents on January 19th. Other documents that were not identified as potential classified documents were driven from Indiana to the National Archives. No classified documents have been found at Mike Pence's Washington office, unlike Joe Biden. So apparently Joe Biden's lectures about how everybody knows except Donald Trump to keep uh, the sacrosanct, sacred nature classified documents secure. Actually, they all do it. Not only so the Pence revelation is kind of the funniest one yet because it comes uh, right after Biden. There is no cover up. He notified them and has gone public fairly immediately. Joe Biden tried to cover it up. He found them in November the first time, covered it all up, then said everything had been handed over. Then it turns out not everything had been handed over. But this kind of just shows you that any prosecution of Donald Trump would be a ridiculous farce by the federal government when uh, the former vice president and the current president from when he was vice president also did the same thing. Thus ends the case against Donald Trump. Thank you, Mike Pence. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee, and now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible, and there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. There's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or even reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at Refunds with an S, RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. A buddy just texted me during commercial break, and he said if uh, Joe Biden had multiple classified documents in his possession when he was vice president, isn't that a felony and wouldn't it be impeachable? Um, not necessarily. So as we're seeing from Joe Biden and from Mike Pence, from Donald Trump, and I'm sure every senator in Washington right now is going through boxes of papers at their houses to see if they do too. Uh, it is, you have to remember intent. The, the law puts a very big burden on intent. If Joe Biden took classified documents with the intent to deny them to the federal government, yes, that's a felony. If Joe Biden took classified documents and forgot to hand them back, that's not a felony. 
That's the whole problem with uh, the case against Donald Trump to a degree. And this is where the left is hanging their head is they want to argue Donald Trump took the classified documents and that he intended to deprive them from the federal government, that it was his intent to deny them to the federal government. That's the crime. Uh, Trump's argument is that actually he handed back what he thought were all the documents that they wanted. He still had others in his possession. He did not realize they wanted them. So he did not have the intent to deprive the federal government of those documents. He didn't know they wanted them back. That's the problem with prosecuting any of these guys is you've got to prove their intent and state of mind was to deprive the federal government of the records. And the other thing for Trump is he gets to build a presidential library. He has a plausible argument that he decided to hold these documents until such time as he had a uh, presidential library built so that he could surrender them there for posterity. So that's not an intent to deprive the United States of those documents either. It's a safeguarding them until such time as there's a presidential library managed by archive staff. You on the left can quibble and yell about this, but you have to concede. Intent is a huge part of this. That's why it's very tough to prosecute one of these. You just having classified documents isn't a problem. If Sandy Berger had gone in and just um, accidentally mixed up classified and non-classified documents back in the day, he wouldn't have been prosecuted, but he shoved them into his socks very clearly intending to deprive the United States of access to them. He stole them. Or what's his name? Petraeus. Petraeus himself willfully decided to conceal documents from the United States. At least that was the allegation at the time. Uh, and so they went after him. Intent, you got to keep in mind in lots of these crimes, particularly felony crimes like this, You've got to be able to prove intent. You know and I know darn well Mike Pence, of all people, did not intend to deprive the United States government of its classified documents. And the odds are, the way Joe Biden's brain works, he didn't intend to deprive the federal government of classified documents. He just forgot about them. More likely than not. That is my suspicion. Uh, perhaps I am wrong, but I doubt I am wrong on this one. And good luck to a prosecutor trying to prove intent. And again, that, that's one of the reasons they're looking at Donald Trump is, is they argue they told him they needed everything back. He says he gave them everything back. They say this isn't everything. Sure enough, it's not. And he says, no, it's everything you wanted back. So again, you got to prove intent. He wasn't trying to deprive the United States of these documents. He just wasn't giving them back stuff he didn't think they wanted. Um, he, he Good luck prosecution, particularly after all of this. I just think it's less and less likely now. This is the angle they go after Trump. Maybe they will January 6th, but not this. Wow. Now we got more stuff to talk about today. We'll be right back, and I'll take your phone calls as well. 877-973-7425. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program uh, if you're just tuning in again, uh, Mike Pence had classified documents in his home. Um, is this is kind of shows you just how they all do it. Um, let me check one second here. Yep. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, all right. I, I wanna, I wanna, I, I gotta distinguish something. But first, before I do that, I want to go over to, to Tony, who can ha- have some insight here. Tony, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Eric. Uh, thank you for taking the call. Really enjoy sure. your show. I What's served going on? twenty years. I served twenty years on active duty as an officer and regularly had uh, security clearances at very high levels. And I am not an attorney. However, I will say that intent was never an issue with us when people were disciplined. We used to call handling classified material a ticket to Leavenworth. If you handled it improperly, if you didn't store it in an approved safe, if, if I had taken a classified document home and was caught, I would have been making little rocks out of big rocks. So intent was never part of it. So I, I suggest respectfully that you speak with a government attorney about the applicable law, but from an active duty um, officer perspective, intent was never involved. Yeah, uh, no, no, I, I don't disagree with you, uh, but you weren't an elected official. Uh, and actually, the law segments out between uh, elected officials and non-elected officials. So for a non-elected official, their intent doesn't matter. For an elected official, intent does matter under the law. Okay, I, yes, sir. Okay. Yep. No, no, I, I've, I've got the statute pulled up right here uh, and an accompanying uh, law.com article that, yeah, there there's a vast difference between contractors and employees and elected officials that for elected officials, again, this gets to double standard issues there, Tony, that um, intent does matter. And in fact, uh, intent does not matter for imposing administrative penalties. Intent does not matter for fining. If you actually want to prosecute, intent matters for government officials. And uh, according to a lot of lawyers in this law.com article, it also matters greatly uh, for higher level contractors. But yeah, I mean, to Tony's point, if you're an employee of the federal government or an outside contractor and you mishandle classified documents, your intent does not matter. However, there is a completely separate standard between a someone who is an employee who handles classified documents by routine and an elected official who's never gone through the training but because of their position gets classified documents uh the it's a it's a big intent problem for an elected official who hasn't gone through the training um the the statutes make clear uh you can look title 18 of the US code and see that uh for yourself that there is differentiation between the handling of classified documents between elected officials who by virtue of their position have access to them and uh, unelected officials who by virtue of their position work with. There's the difference here. Uh, A classified document from an elected official who by virtue of his position gets documents versus someone who handles classified documents by virtue of their position in employment, uh, that they have access to it. You got to have, you've got to have, um, um, intent with the one, not the other. Now, uh, okay, I, I gotta, um, this is kind of funny here. Um, got an email from some crazy person who is very upset that I didn't talk about Brian Kemp going to Davos. Silence here, intentional ponder. Did I not talk about Brian Kim, you know, the other day, it's kind of funny. I, I mentioned the other day how 
I tend to take the news as it comes, as it just this this Mike Pence news. It is breaking news out of the gate. I handled it. And probably, unless there, there's more to it, won't handle it tomorrow. And the result of this is uh, occasionally people are like, I don't understand. Um, and you haven't talked about this. And why haven't you talked about this? Because I've talked about it. Talked about Kempit Davos. We need to move on to other stuff. I, I want to get back real quick to the DeSantis thing. I got asked to be on Aaron Burnett's show on CNN last night to talk about Ron DeSantis. And, you know, I, I, I actually do think Democrats, particularly progressive Democrats, are kind of missing what's going on here. And let me explain this to you. If you look back at the 2022 election cycle, the candidates who only focused on these cultural issues like drag queen story hour, transgenderism, uh, critical race theory, indoctrination education, they all lost. They all lost. Democrats interpret it as, ah, turns out Americans are with us on this. Any Republican who spends his time on this, they're going to lose. No. They looked at the disaster that befell Republicans and interpreted this as good for them. And it's not true because Republicans from New York to California who focused on these issues but did not prioritize these issues, they won. Republicans can run on cultural issues, but they got to run on the issues that matter. And that was economy and crime. From New York to California, Crime and the economy were the big issues. If you ran on those issues and you were a Republican, you almost always won. Carrie Lake in Arizona, she ran on Stop the Steal, stolen election, and she lost. Tudor Dixon in Michigan ran on cultural issues, transgenderism, critical race theory, cleaning up the schools. She lost. Dr. Oz, I don't even know what Dr. Oz ran on. He was just a terrible candidate who couldn't pronounce the basic names of Pennsylvania institutions, and he lost. Herschel Walker was Herschel Walker. Candidate quality does matter, people. Candidate quality matters. But Republicans have the ability to run on this. So I'm on CNN last night, and I'm with Bakari Sanders, and um, Bakari Sellers, rather. Bakari mispronounced his name last time, and he didn't want to do this, so he didn't think it was digital. Bakari Sellers, and... We're on CNN with Aaron Burnett, and he's like, Ron DeSantis is a little man, and he keeps trying to just insult him as being a little man. I guess he thinks that, like Trump, that this is kind of a tell they think he's like Trump because Trump got really upset about tiny hands. DeSantis does not care if you call him short or tiny or anything. Uh, he packs a wallop, but that's what they're doing, and and you can't tell me as a black man how to talk about my culture. I, I don't want to tell uh, Bakari, how to talk about uh, black history in America, but I do care about how things are taught in school and teaching things with intersectionality and the like is a bunch of hooey. And he was focused on this. Ron DeSantis is going to get pigeonholed as a cultural warrior and people aren't going to vote for culture warriors. I really disagree with this analysis and I'm hearing it from more and more Democrats. We are at January 24th, 2023. 
Later this year, Ron DeSantis will say he's forming an exploratory campaign for president of the United States. By the way, I have no inside knowledge on that. I just know it's going to happen. I hope it happens when he's on stage with me at the gathering in August. Nonetheless, it's going to happen. And by then, the nation will be, it'll be very clear we're headed into a recession. I mean, it's clear enough to me now we are, but the government data doesn't show it. The government data by August will show a recession. And Ron DeSantis, the culture warrior, will start talking about the Florida economy and how in Florida they've done such a good job uh, preserving businesses, preserving jobs at a time the nation's performing poorly. And by January of 2024, when the race is on and the primaries have started and people are freezing to death in Iowa at the caucuses, Ron DeSantis won't be the culture warrior. He'll be the economic powerhouse of Florida. It's pretty obvious to me that's what's going to happen. And I said that on CNN last night, that by being the culture warrior right now, he's locking up Republican voters, keeping them from Donald Trump, building a coalition to go against Donald Trump. And for all of the economic conservatives out there, all the the fiscal conservatives who really aren't down with this culture warrior stuff, you just wait. I I keep telling some of these Republican donors who they kind of they don't like the culture warrior stuff. They, they, They find it gross. They don't see why he's doing it. I keep telling them, just wait, just you wait, just wait. Ron DeSantis is going to pivot. And when he pivots, you're all gonna love it because he's a small government fiscal conservative who thinks we got Washington needs to deregulate and stay out of the way. He, But he's got to do the culturally conservative issues. This is something I think a lot of the large donors in the GOP don't appreciate. And I'm trying to impress upon them that you have to give license to these candidates to also be social conservatives because though you billionaires may not be, The bulk of the Republican Party are socially conservative and fiscally conservative. If anything, they're socially conservative and more fiscally liberal than the economic powerhouse donors of the GOP. If you're a Ken Griffin of of Citadel, billionaire hedge fund guy, if you're, uh, you you name the Republican donor, and and Griffin, by the way, is already all in with DeSantis, you may not care one whit about socially conservative issues. You may not care about abortion, trans rights, transgender bathrooms, all that stuff. But I assure you the Republican base does. And if you're going to say, well, I'm not going to support Ron DeSantis because he talks about these issues and not fiscal issues, you're wasting your money um, and and spending your money poorly because he's going to talk about those issues. Now, this, again, not an endorsement for DeSantis. I just know what's going to happen. It's obvious to me as a student of politics that there will become this economic pivot at the moment it is most opportune for him to pivot because he is a savvy politician. But if you're a billionaire donor, say, ah, this is kind of icky. I don't I don't like this. I wish he'd just talk about the economy and shut up about this stuff. Uh, you don't understand how you got to get the Republican nomination. Everyone's going to talk about these issues. Glenn Youngkin is talking about these issues. Uh, Christy Nome is now talking about these issues. You have to talk about these issues to steal voters away from Donald Trump and win the Republican nomination. And so you just wait, just wait. The great pivot will come. I tried to explain that on TV last night that, uh, Ron DeSantis has plenty of time to become the economic warrior right now. He's got to take as many votes away from Donald Trump and build his own coalition as possible. 
including with evangelicals. Notably, Franklin Graham has come out and said uh, it's not an automatic that he would support Donald Trump this time. That should be a big red alarm light going off at Trump Central that Franklin Graham, Robert Jeffries, and the other uh, evangelical voices who were early adopters of, of the Trump brand are saying, yeah, we're, we're going to see who else is out there. They all kind of want that guy in Florida. Now, one of the groups that's out there just uh, focusing on growing the conservative movement is Patriot Mobile. It, it's kind of a genius concept what they do. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You move your cell phone service to them. They are a cell phone company. 5G, data, voice, you name it. They get it all. They give you guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers everyone else uses. You can go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, see a detailed map. So you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You move your cell phone service to them. Get guaranteed great service, free activation with my name. You move your existing phone number to them or get a brand new one. If you're tired of people calling your number, you get a new number. You get a new phone or an unlocked phone that you already have, use it. And then when you grow their profits, they take a portion of their profits and they give it to the causes you care about. The Second Amendment, the life movement, the conservative movement, conservative candidates against wokes on school boards. They do it all at patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You can also call them if you don't want to do it online. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. You're partnering with a company that shares your values and wants to grow with you. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, you should uh, you, you should sign up to my daily email by texting DATA to 33777. Um, glad to have you with me here. You should, by the way, subscribe to today. I actually have a piece on the pro-life movement. Um, and you should, you should consider reading it. If you just text data to three, three, seven, 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 you can get it. Uh, there's a a hilarious story here, um, from the Andy no at the New York post about the kids arrested and their kid. Well, I shouldn't say their kids. They're 20 somethings in Atlanta, Georgia. And he highlights Francis Carroll, who I mentioned. Carroll was already out on bail for a domestic terrorism arrest at the Atlanta Autonomous Zone last month. He's the son of a yacht-sailing multimillionaire family and hails from Kennebunkport, home of President George W. Bush. Carroll, who lived in his parents' mansion before going to Atlanta, was among six people arrested and charged with domestic terrorism. There's also Madeline uh, Fiola. Fiola is a trans non-binary activist and 2022 alumnus of Oberlin College where he studied, and and I'm not going to play into this whole nonsense, Uh, Madeline is actually a boy, uh, where he studied archaeological studies with a focus on decolonization. He's from a wealthy Portland, Oregon suburb of Happy Valley, moved to Spokane, Washington, authored a February 2022 blog post at the American Scientist titled, It's Time to Stop Gatekeeping Medical Transition. Emily Murphy of Gross Island, Michigan, a middle-class vegan activist who previously served as the at-large chair for the Chicago chapter of Al Gore's Climate Reality Project. James Ivan James Ferguson of Henderson, Nevada, 
He's a 23-year-old award-winning classically trained clarinetist. Clarinetist played with the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Before being radicalized, he performed in classical concerts in California and Nevada. He's been charged with felony domestic terrorism, felony interference with government property, felony first-degree arson, felony second-degree criminal damage, riot, unlawful assembly, willful obstruction of a law enforcement personnel, and pedestrian and roadway. These are some fairly privileged people. Uh, one, uh, Teresa Yu Shen is a Brooklyn woman, attended Bernard College before working for Reuters and CNN. Abigail Skapkik of Minneapolis is a former Justice Department intern. Marion Hoyt Lang is a violinist from New York University. Madeline Gunther Kodak of Philadelphia is the daughter of the former provost and dean of faculty at Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. These are all people who've been arrested protesting the police training facility in Atlanta. Uh, Serena Hartle was one of the militants charged with domestic terrorism, aggravated assault, and criminal trespass. She graduated from Pitzker College, a private liberal arts university in California, where the annual cost is $82,000 a year. And, of course, uh, Catherine Clark, the Democratic House Minority Whip, uh, her kid got arrested for assaulting police in Massachusetts as part of the protest here. We got a bunch of spoiled, rich, white kids. And notice, notice they claim to be doing this for racial justice, and they're all a bunch of rich, white kids. Very privileged white kids who have nothing better to do because their God is now government. They worship at the altar of climate, and they're chasing around their idols. They're doing this for religious zeal, not because they actually care about the black community, which supports the project and would like better trained police. Oh, the ironies. When we come back, we must move on to video games.